There is nothing wrong with your podcatcher. Do not attempt to adjust the feed. We are controlling the bitstream. We control the encoding. We can mispronounce names. We can consume alcoholic beverages. For the next half hour, we will control all that you read and discuss. Go to patreon.com slash swordandlaser to pledge support. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. And from time to time, we get the pleasure of talking with some of the awesome authors who create the books that you guys like to read. And today is no exception. We're very happy to have Mike Carey. You'll know him as M.R. Carey, author of The Girl with All the Gifts and its new companion novel, The Boy on the Bridge. Uh, The Girl with All the Gifts was also turned into a movie released in 2016 as well. Mike, thanks for joining us. Great pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. And we're especially pleased because it is ungodly early where you are right now. (laughs) What is it, it, 5 a.m.? It's 5 a.m., yep. How, thank you. Uh, also, I feel more like I'm torturing you than interviewing you. Are you Are you quite all right? <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. The only thing I was worried about was getting the um, the interface up so we could talk. So I've been sort of hovering over, over the computer, refreshing every 20 seconds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you sound great. Thank you very much for taking the time. Um, so it's it's been it's been kind of a whirlwind for you, I know, because you you've written in a lot of different formats throughout the years, from graphic novels and, and comics and books and short stories. What what's the past couple of years been like for you? It's been kind of crazy, I have to admit. Um, and I think it all began really way back in 2012, when I was invited by um, Charlene Harris and Tony Kellner to submit a short story for their themed anthology. You know, they do these these um, anthologies where the, the theme is something really uh, reassuring and ordinary, like family vacations or DIY. And the brief is to write a, a horror story or a dark fantasy story uh, to, that, to that theme. And the year that I said I would do it, the theme was uh, school days. And I wrote a, a short story, Iphigenia and Alice, which became the girl with all the gifts. And, and really everything sort of, um, everything stems from that. My, my, my life has changed out of all recognition in those five years. Well, and you're a successful graphic novel author. Uh, you, you've written successful novels before that. What What do you think was different about this short story that sort of accelerated things for you? Um what was different for me was just I, I, I kind of having sent it in. I mean, the short story did very well by itself. It, it got um, an Edgar Allan Poe uh, nomination. It got a Derringer nomination. It was it was very well received, and I thought it was done, and I was done with Melanie. But then, basically, I couldn't I couldn't put the world down. I couldn't put the character down, and I, I kept on coming back to it. Um, I negoti- negotiated myself out of a contract that I was in, so I could write the novel. Uh, I, I got my publishers to release me from the obligation to write a completely different book so I could write Girl with All the Gifts. And um, it uh, it was instantly obvious that it was, um, you know, it was doing much better than the nine novels that I wrote before it. It was picked up um, and greenlit as a movie and got the backing of the um, the BFI, the British Film Institute, at the same time that I was writing the novel. So everything just seemed to, um, to happen on this crazily... Um, fast timeline i think i think possibly because melanie is one of the most successful characters that i've ever created people seem to respond to her very 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 positively 
I mean, yeah. Melanie got you out of a contract. That's that's a power. That's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible by itself. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's something. It, it's not a traditional zombie story, and I, I don't. I don't want to spoil too much of the book, but it's. It, it definitely. You know, every everybody says that it's a, it's a little bit different from what they're used to. The characters are a lot deeper. They're a lot more. It's hard to explain, I guess, without you know giving away too much, but. Why do you think she is so strong? And, and, and how, where, where did you find her voice as you were writing? Um, I think to, to, to answer the second part of that question first, I think I found her voice by um, collaborating with two women. The, the two novels that I wrote immediately before Girl With All The Gifts were, um, were collaborations with my wife, Linda, and our daughter, Louise. So I'd spent the better part of three years um, working with two uh, two women who were skilled writers who are sort of very close to me and therefore there was a lot of trust and a lot of um, it, the collaboration was very easy and what we did uh, because we were we were basically taking alternate chapters in those two books we had to haggle and come up with a voice for the stories that worked for all of us so so, so I'd um, I guess I had become sensitized to a lot of things that I'd done by default in earlier novels. I came out of it in a different place emotionally. I came out of it with a different voice, and I came out of it much more willing to experiment. So um, I, I had the confidence to try and write from the perspective of a, a 12-year-old child. Um, and, and one of the decisions I made quite early on when I was experimenting with the um, with the format of the story, with the style of the story, was the decision to make make it be in present tense, because a child, a child sees the world much more vividly than an adult does. Uh, all the all the sensory impressions that they have are, I think, more acute, more intense. It's possible when you're a child for a single idea or a single image or a, a, a single uh, smell or sound to just fill your brain to bursting something that's new. Is, is, is incredibly powerful for you. And I was writing about a child who had zero experience of the world, who'd grown up in a very restricted environment in this military base, and then gets to see the world, to experience the world firsthand um, for the very first time. So I think there's something quite powerful in that. And there's something, I think, powerful about the relationship at the heart of the book, which is the relationship between Melanie and her favorite teacher. And it's, it's almost a maternal it's almost a mother-child relationship, but it's not. Um, I, I think there's something about that that's very easy to relate to. I think there's something very interesting and 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 something worth paying attention to with, with the fact that collaborating with people then informed you enough to be able to write people that were more believable not even just believable but 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 different than the way you would have written them before i think it's a common critique that readers give that oh i didn't find this or that character believable because the, there's the other aphorism of authors need to write what you know but it, it isn't always what you know as your own experience but what you know as having put yourself in other people's shoes and collaborating with a novel certainly forced you to be put in other people's shoes in a way that not much else would. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, collaboration is is incredibly hard work in that everything takes two or three or even four five times as long as it would if you were doing it alone because you know the essence of it if it works is communication you have to argue about everything you have to talk everything through until until all of the people you're partnering up with are happy until you're all you're all sort of in the same space and that's tough it's much easier to go it alone but the rewards are i think that you then you get this this precious gift of parallax you you get a different perspective on your own on your own writing well, we've been talking a lot about um, the girl with all the gifts, but tell us more about the boy on the bridge. Does it does it pick up from on the same storyline, or is it a different story altogether? It's uh, it's a standalone. We 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 uh, when I negotiated it with my um, my publishers, when I suggested that I might return to Melanie's world, <coughs> I called it a prequel equal sequel <laughs> because because it starts before Girl with All the Gifts and finishes later. Oh, wow! But really, it's um it's a completely it's a completely different story. It's, the bulk of the events are about a decade before the events of Girl with All the Gifts. Melanie would have been a, 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 an infant at the time of this story. And it's about, it's, it's kind of told in the negative space of Girl with All the Gifts. There's a point in the Girl with All the Gifts where the, uh, the characters find in the streets of London as, they, as they're coming in out of the wilds. They find this massive armored laboratory, and it's just lying there in the street, deserted, abandoned, like the Marie Celeste. Uh, and we never really get to hear what happened to its crew. We assume that they died, but we don't know in, in what circumstances or what they were doing there. Um, so it's that story. It's the story of the Rosalind Franklin, its first and last voyage, and its crew. Um, but through that, although we almost never, almost never reference any of the characters from Girl with All the Gifts. Um, you do get, I think, um, some interesting new sidelights on Melanie's world and on that, that earlier story. So now that it's a, a, a prequel equal sequel, I like that very much, by the way, uh, do you have any guidance in, in the order of which they should be read in or they truly can be, can be read separately and you don't feel as though there's any strong way in which people should, should, should dive into these? They they can be read separately. You can definitely read Boy without knowing uh, anything about the world. But if you are going to read them both, definitely should be Girl first and Boy second. Um, there are the the sequel bit, although it's it's short. It's in the by the by the time you finish the book, you know what Melanie's world is going to look like. You know what the world is the world is going to look like after Melanie. Um, how things are going to change in the years after Girl with all the gifts. And there are some there are some. I think quite big Easter eggs there, if you if you know the earlier book. I've I've seen a few other authors talk about not wanting to do sequels, but still writing books that are within the same universe. Uh, and I, I feel like there may be a balance there because publishers and readers often want sequels because they want to keep going along the storyline. The publishers want to keep selling because they know people liked the first one, they'll like the second one, and readers the same way. If we like the first one, we want to know more about it. But sequels sometimes can, I know, constrain an author. Do you feel like that was some of what you were thinking when you decided to go with the prequel equal sequel, or was it just you had this different story you wanted to tell? It, it was. It was that um, when you when you think about the ending of Girl with All the Gifts, you know, without without getting into specifics, um, it's a big game changer. It's a game changer for the characters and for the world. A, a straight sequel, I think, would be in a completely different genre. Than girl with all the gifts, it would be a um, a political novel 
a, a novel about the birth of a new society, the sort of painful period of uh, of reconstruction, um, the, the 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 kind of horse trading and negotiations that come with that. Um, and I, I'm not sure necessarily convinced that people who read and enjoyed Girl with All the Gifts would stay on board for that other story. <coughs> So I, I so, so 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 I tried to uh, I, I tried to find another way into into the world because again after having written um, the short story Iphigenia and Aulis, um I didn't want to I didn't want to let it go I thought there was more to more to say there was more story to be told. So when, what was the oh, I'm sorry Tom go ahead. Well I was just going to ask about it. when you wrote the lab into the girl with all the gifts did you know you would have a story to tell about it later. No, not at all. It was uh-huh. just it was just pure serendipity. Huh. Like, oh, that would be a great idea. I should definitely do that. That's good. Um, when when you were working on the film project, you you wrote the screenplay as well, right? Yes, I did. How was how was that process different? And and how much input did you get to have on on casting decisions or or story changes or anything along those lines, if any? I know that's a very difficult thing for a lot of authors. It it was it was an incredible experience. It. it unlike anything that I've ever done before. Um, not least because it wasn't exactly an adaptation of the novel. Um, the, the, two, the two green lights came like almost simultaneously. So I was planning the movie at the same time that I was writing the novel. And then at a certain point, I was writing drafts of the movie while I was finishing up uh, rewrites on the novel. Oh, wow. So there was a lot of overlap, a lot of... Um, it, you know, at times it felt like I was just living in that story space and finding two different but complementary routes through it. And it kind of, I got to a point where the decisions that I was making for the movie would clarify decisions I was making for the book and vice versa. You know, there are some, there are some quite significant differences, but that's because movies and novels articulate differently. They have different, they're different tools, tool, um, toolkits for telling stories. Um, so it, it actually, I think it's the first screenplay I've ever written that's actually fit for purpose. I'd done a fair amount of um, TV writing back in the day for um, anim- animated series, both in Britain and in Europe. Um, but really the way I tended to approach them was I'd write them as though they were comic scripts. Um, and they're not. Movies and, and TV shows are not, are not like comics. In a comic, you write, you tend to write very, very um, prescriptively. You, you you specify the content of each panel, the camera angles, the transitions. You're very much in control of the show. When you write a comic script, it's almost like you are the cinematographer and the director as well as the writer. Um, but in a screenplay, you kind of have to be. You have to have a lighter touch. You have to be sort of more imagistic, less less nailing down every single beat. Um, so that was, you know, it was it was it was an education for me. I was working with some amazing people. The director, Colin McCarthy, came on board before there ever was a screenplay. We did the planning together. The lead producer, Camille Gatan. Similarly, it was the three of us sitting together in a room for months, like talking it through, um, planning it out. When it came to casting decisions, I had I didn't exactly have a voice in that because casting is really an equation that um, it's I guess the people who lead that would tend to be the production partners because casting equals box office. Mm-hmm. You 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 need an equation that works for their um, for their sort of um, their sums, their calculations. Um, 
so you're looking you're looking for people that will help you sell the movie um, I was tangentially involved in in the casting for Melanie. Colm had decided that he wanted a complete unknown. Um, they scoured the country. Um, the, the, we, we took um, diversity seriously at every stage. So we went beyond um, you know, acting schools. Uh, we looked at uh, television workshops and small drama, um, drama schools in, in urban areas. We we and um, especially Colm looked at 3,000 audition tapes, live interviewed 500 girls, and then got it down to a short list of six. Um, and I got to see the the audition the audition tapes of those six, and then the audition tape of the seventh person who was Senya Nanawa. At the last moment. Um, Colin was called to Northampton by an old friend to uh, audition three more girls, and one of them was Senya, who he eventually um, gave the gave the part to. It's so incredible she how chance just kind of you know pops in at the last moment, and you you find that that special person. Yeah, it, it was absolutely extraordinary. You know, we we had we had, I think we had a front runner. I think we all felt we we we'd found Melanie, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, there is this this new girl. Um, Colin met her on the Friday. On the Monday, on the following Monday, three days later, they did what are called um, chemistry auditions um, with with Gemma Arterton. So they all acted a scene with Gemma to see how they how the chemistry between them worked on screen. And it was just immediately obvious that that Senya got it, got the character that she played brilliantly against Gemma. It, it, it was electrifying. Now. Uh, if Marvel were to want you to cross over and write a screenplay, would you you'd be interested in that? Is that <laughs> for the for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Yeah, yeah, I would I would love to do that. That would that would be a a, a dream job. <laughs> it, it seems like you know you've got familiarity with some of the characters in that universe, right? That, that yeah, I, I, what I don't have, I guess, is any kind of cred uh, credibility in, in Hollywood. Well, you, you know, do this, now. This, <laughs> well, it's this, this, this was this was this was even though um, in the UK it was a Warner it was a Warner movie, mm-hmm. um, it was overwhelmingly done with British British money British cast. It was a British production shot sure. sh- shot in the British Midlands. I, I I I don't think I could sort of walk into um, a Hollywood production company and sort of. Uh, Expect to be taken seriously. <laughs> you never know. You never, you never know. know. You never know. Uh, well, we, we have a couple of questions we want to get to uh, from folks in our audience. Terp Kristen uh, notes that you do comic work uh, as well as novels and screenplay uh, and says, do you prefer one or the other or prefer one of the other in moods or fav- phases? It's more, yeah, it's more the latter. It's more in phases. At any given time, it's kind of like, it's hard to describe, but it's like my, um, my, my, perceptions are focused more on one than another and it, it tends to obviously uh, vary depending on what my slate is and since girl with all the gifts i've been just i've just been doing an incredible amount of screenwriting i have um counting on my fingers here i have five different projects on the go at the moment um two two tv pilots and three three movie screenplays and this is kind of it's a little bit out of nowhere. Uh, five years ago, I would have maybe maybe been doing one very, very tentative, very speculative screenplay, and the rest would be would have been comics and novels. Um, and, and picking up a new skill set, discovering how to write in a new medium, is incredibly exciting. 
um, and incredibly rewarding. Um, but there is there is also the pleasure of what you know. If, if, when, when I write a comic script, it's a weird thing, but I know exactly how long it will take. Mm. I, I can sort of pace it out to um, to within an hour, so I can say I'll deliver the script on such and such a day, and I could I could say you know before lunch uh, and, and mean it. Whereas with a with a movie screenplay, I sit down in the morning and get up in the evening. Some days I'll have written ten pages. Some days I'll have written like three quarters of a page. I I, I never know how the process is going to work, which is exhilarating, exciting, but terrifying as well it's like a whole different kind of challenge yeah absolutely um trike wants to know in in the comic book series the unwritten the main character tom taylor feels like a combination of harry potter and the real life christopher robin who grew up to resent being in the winnie the pooh stories his father wrote i'm curious how this mashup came to you Hmm, harry potter i suppose there is a certain amount of overlap at that yeah um it was it was kind of um the, the the initial inspiration was um the, the, the Christopher Robin story, you know, the idea of somebody who is famous on on someone else's terms, famous as, as somebody else's fictional creation. And as you say, uh, Christopher Milne felt that that was a terrible burden. He absolutely hated it. He said in his autobiography, I felt as if my father had stolen my childhood and given me back nothing but the empty fame of being his son. Um, so we wanted to dramatize that situation, but we thought... It would be good to have um, a, so our main character has this fictional counterpart. It would be good if that fictional counterpart would be somebody who every reader in, instantly recognizes. You know, we wanted Tom's uh, Tom's father to have created a, a multimedia fictional phenomenon that has conquered the world. And it seemed to us that that boy wizard archetype was a really good one to go with because it was when J.K. Rowling was still writing, um, writing the novels. Um, they were everywhere. The, the Potterverse was everywhere. I mean, it still is, I guess. It still is, yeah. That that tide isn't going out anytime soon. So, so it, it was it was it was just a good latching on point. Uh, we, we we as soon as we set that up, as soon as we sold the audience on that, we go to other places. Most most of the story is not about that that situation. It's just kind of. Um, you got that. Okay, so here's what happens now. And Trek also wants to know, do you have any plans to write a superhero novel using a totally original character? Not at the moment, no. I've done some superhero short stories. I wrote a short story called The Non-Event for um, an anthology called Masked or Masked, um, which came out a few years ago, uh, where I have a, a character who um, who's superpowers to suppress everybody else's superpowers and and, and, and this leads to a terrible uh, a terrible disaster um, a novel a superhero novel it would be fun to do but at the moment um, I'm mainly yeah I'm, I'm kind of writing books uh, in the sort of in the MR Carey mold rather than the Mike Carey mold and strangely they are um, they are different <laughs> they have a different palette that's why people People do that. It it makes you get into a different vibe. I think when you're in in one one place or another in in your mind, uh, working on different projects. I think it's important to kind of separate in a way. And you, and you sort of, um, from, from your publisher's point of view, you become like separable brands. Yeah. Mm. So, so so I've written under three pseudonyms now. Um, I have a, a very good friend who is on who is on her third pseudonym. 
um, and contemplating a fourth. It's it it, it it's something that um, I think is becoming a very big part of marketing. Yeah. Because it, because it allows you to separate out, you know, the, um, the, 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 the voices and approaches and styles that you're using. And even in some cases, the genres that you're writing in. Do you have any advice for people who are looking to get into writing or, or want to either work in, in screenwriting or, or comics or, or fiction writing? I know those are very, very different kinds of jobs and, and abilities. But what, what would you say to someone who is looking to do what you do? I wouldn't presume to uh, give anyone any advice about getting into screenwriting because I feel like I fell into it backwards just by leaning against a door that fell open. Um, and I'm incredibly fortunate to, to have had that happen. Uh, in terms of writing prose, and I think writing comics too, the, the three cardinal rules are write as much as you possibly can. Just keep on doing it because ultimately you have to love it. I think. Um, and the more you do it, the better you will get. It's a mechanical skill like riding a bike or juggling. Um, so, so doing it makes you better. Um, doing it especially makes you better if you get other people's opinions on what you write. So read your stuff aloud to other people or if it's comics, show them to other people, especially people who don't like you very much. Don't, <laughs> show, don't, don't show them to your mum or your dad. Show, show them to people who have no... Um, no vested interest in making you happy and listen to the negative feedback because other people, whether they're um, readers, editors, um, who producers, if it's a, if it's a movie, um, they give you a rear view mirror. They give you, the, they give you the ability to look into your own blind spots. Um, and the third thing is you have to read all the damn time. If you, if you love writing, you have to love reading as well. There is, a, there is zero point in writing in a medium that you don't read for pleasure because you just won't get it. You'll think you get it, but you won't. Well, I am desperately curious uh, to see what screenplays and TV shows uh, that are coming out of your mind. Uh, but of course, the the thing that is next on the list is The Boy on the Bridge, which comes out May 2nd. Uh, if people want to follow you, keep up with you, find out what the next thing is after they've purchased and enjoyed The Boy on the Bridge, where should they go? Um, there's a, an MR Carey Facebook page uh, that they can go to. There's also a Mike Carey Facebook page, which is largely me, me blathering about stuff. Do the um, two talk to each other? Seldom. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I, occasionally, occasionally, I remember to cross over, like to, to, to post something on the second page uh -huh. when, I, when I put it on the first, but generally they're, um, they're distinct things. Uh, my, my publishers, uh, Little Brown Orbit, um, have lots of updates about my stuff. I'm on Twitter. Um, as as um, I'm on Twitter as Mike Carey, I think I'm certainly there anyway. Michael so, Carey one ninety one is the one I have. That's the one. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so um, the, 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 those are places where I'm I'm really happy to chat. I'm on Goodreads too, but I, 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 it's been a while since I uh, since I checked my my profile there. Mm. We do. We're big Goodreads fans over here, so we're we're on there constantly. We, we're big fans of the site. Well, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time and and waking up so so early <laughs> to join us here. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Great to talk. And of course, our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons. Uh, thank you so much to all of you out there who help fund our show. If you want to learn more, head over to Patreon.com/SwordAndLaser. You can also support the show by buying books. Maybe you want to buy an MR Carey book. We'll have a link to it and links to all the books we talk about on the shows at swordandlaser.com slash picks. 
Send us an email, feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions, as we said, happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!